0: Welcome to the Littler International Employment Law podcast series, conversations for the multinational employer on issues impacting their global business. Good day to our listeners. This is Johan Libert from Littler Mendelssohn. I am the co-chair of our international employment law practice at the firm. And it's my privilege to lead a conversation today on the topic uh, regarding the mandatory process that should precede the dismissal of employees for misconduct or unsatisfactory work performance. And we're going to look at this from the angle of four different jurisdictions, Japan, Colombia, the Netherlands, and the UK. So with the prevailing doctrine of employment at will in the US, employers in this country are not obligated to follow any pre-dismissal procedures. In many foreign jurisdictions, however, The employer must not only have a good reason for the termination, but must also follow a pre-dismissal and fair procedure. Today we'll discuss the mandatory pre-dismissal procedures. So to start off, I'd like to introduce my fellow panelists here today, Aki Tanaka, who's uh, in Littler's Boston office and is a dual qualified attorney in Japan and in Massachusetts. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Aki.
1: Sure. Thank you,
0: Johan. And then I also have Anna Christina Bedina from Littler's Colombia office. Welcome here, Anna Christina.
2: Thank you, Johan, for inviting me.
0: And also Eric Van Dam from our office in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Welcome, Eric.
2: Thank you, Johan.
0: And last but not least, Rahul Parekh from our London office. Thanks, Johan. Good to be here. So to start off our discussion at a high level, what is the basic pre-dismissal process? That should be followed if an employer wants to dismiss an employee for unsatisfactory work performance. Is there a set procedure in Japan, Aki? And can you just describe that for us?
1: Yeah. So basically, the statutory requirement in Japan is very simple. So 30 days' notice or the payment in lieu. However, uh, the employers need to have just cause. There is no unfair employment. And then the threshold of uh, just cause is very high, which is almost like willful misconduct standard under workers' comp, if it's in US context. So in order to meet that requirement, as a practical matter, there are several things that employers need to do.
0: Ana Cristina, if we, if we shift continents and look at Colombians and, and South America, if we just focus on disciplining and potentially terminating employee for unsatisfactory work performance. Is there a set set of procedures that the employer should follow?
3: Yeah, actually there is, and that's why it's a little bit difficult. Because in Colombia, the employer would have to do two written uh, drafts or requirements uh, to the employee, stating that he's underperformance and that he has to improve. If after those two written requirements, there has to be eight days within each one of them. And if after those two communications, the employee has not improved, then the employer has to give him a comparison chart where he is showing him that when he compared him with the other employees, he is the one that is not improving. And he also has to show the employee that he was better before. So you have to compare him and really prove that he's, like he's not only not doing the job, but that he used to do it and that he, all his colleagues are doing better than him. And after that, there's going to be another hearing where the employee is going to explain why this is happening. So usually it's long, it's difficult, and there's a lot of information that you have to gather in order to be able to do a just cause because of unsatisfactory work.
0: The, you reference these time periods, are those prescribed by law? Yeah, log? by law. Uh, in uh, the Netherlands, how does the process there compare to what Ana Cristina just uh, explained for Colombia?
2: Well, it's a little bit different. And since the employer needs to have a so-called reasonable ground for dismissal and underperformance is the strictest of all dismissal grounds, the employer will need to do two things before going to court. First thing is to offer the employee a performance improvement plan, a so-called PIP. And the second thing is investigate the possibilities to reassign the employee to another suitable position within the company, if needed by providing training to make the reassignment possible.
0: So there are various elements uh, under Dutch law. It's not just notice, but also uh, potential of retraining.
2: Yes. Training
0: support, at least.
2: Support, at least, yes. If the the employee can reassign to a suitable position, but needs training, then you have to provide that training.
0: Now, Roel, in the UK, this fair process, that does not apply to all
4: employees, correct? No, there's a very uh, dramatic difference in the UK based on whether or not you have two years service as an employee. So for the first two years, you can dismiss an employee on grounds of poor performance without having to follow any prescribed process. You just need to give them the notice that it says in their contract. But once they hit that two-year threshold, or more precisely, just about a week before that date, Things change, and you're a little bit closer to the world that Eric described, where you need to go through a performance improvement process or PIP, normally involving giving the employee at least two chances to uh, remedy their poor performance. Unlike uh, in Colombia, there isn't a prescribed period by law, but the process would be quite long, normally a matter of months. And the way these things tend to go is that even when you get to the end of the process, to the point of dismissal, the employee very rarely accepts that their performance has been under par, and in practice, these dismissals often end up being contested uh, and often settlements are more pragmatic option are going through that process.
0: Now, uh, in Colombia, we learned that you also have to give these charts to compare the employee's performance with the past own performance and with other employees. How much detail is required in the Netherlands, for example, when you sit down an employee and you start this process of working towards potential dismissal, how much detail do you have to share with the employee about his or her unsatisfactory work performance?
2: That is not prescribed by law. However, in the court, you have to make plausible that the employee does underperform, and therefore you need to set up the PIP, the performance improvement plan, and you would really need to say, this is the reasons for doing the PIP." These are the keys and the, uh, the, the things you have to achieve within the plan. And uh, then you have to write it down and document everything. And the more detailed it is, uh, both the, the, the target the key points and how the employee performs on it, the bigger the chances are that the court finds that indeed there is a, uh, an, an underperformance which should lead to, uh, to dismissal. Aki okay, in, in Japan,
0: given the high threshold that Japanese law imposed to justify dismissal. What is the process Mm -hmm. that employers should follow with employees in Japan when they address uh, the performance issues?
1: Yeah, so there is no statutory requirements and then also there is no established case laws on this space of the laws. However, the courts often uh, require actually similar things in the Netherlands. So first, the court would like to see whether the employer has put the employee in PIP and then whether it gave any chance to the employee to improve their performance. And then also sometimes the court would require the employer to transfer that employee to another position to see whether that person can be performing better if it's in
0: another position. I want to get back to the interesting point that you made in Colombia, uh, Cristina, and I heard you say actual charts. So it implies to me that the format of the PIP is really strictly prescribed. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
3: Over the charts? Yes. Yeah, it, I think that what the legislator is seeking for is that you can completely prove that there is an underperformance and that the case is not that the company is just not doing as well or that there is other various reasons different to something that the employee is doing wrong. So this is why those charts have to be very detailed. Uh, regarding how the other employees are doing and what are the results of the other employees and what were the results of the employee that we're doing the process with. Uh, So uh, if you don't have that information, and sometimes it happens because there's cases where you only have one person in that particular position. So you don't have anyone to compare him with so if you don't have that, you are not going to be able to dismiss him because an underperformance, because you have to be able to compare him. Or maybe he just started doing wrong, so you cannot compare him with his previous better performance. So that's why I'm saying it's really tricky, and then maybe we can talk of how we recommend the clients to do this kind of procedures and to look for other solutions, because there's a lot of times that because this process, it's very challenging, it's going to be very difficult.
0: Oh, my takeaway from what you're saying is that uh, particularly decision makers in the U.S. Yeah. need to get very careful advice or they need to have somebody on the ground in the country that's familiar with the process, knows how to write those specific documents. You can't just write typical shorter version that we are so used to in the U.S.,
3: no, you can't. For sure, you need someone there.
0: So, we referenced the use of a PIP, of a Performance Improvement Plan. At least from an American perspective, that's sort of the last step in the process. Would that be the same in your jurisdictions? Would a PIP be preceded by Informal counselings and then perhaps a single more formal counselling before you get to this drastic step of a very formal document that places the employee here on notice. How would that be in Colombia?
3: Well, in Colombia, because the process indeed there is very difficult. When you're starting to see that there's a poor performance, then you have to start this procedure because otherwise, if you wait for an informal meeting or counselling, then it's gonna take a while before you are going to be able to dismiss by this grant.
2: And in the Netherlands, Eric? Ideally, yes, because since it's the most difficult, reasonable ground to dismiss uh, employees, courts tend to look very critical whether or not the PIP is used as a tool to get rid of the employee. So the better the file is, the better the chances are that you can uh, successfully dismiss the employee in court. So if you first uh, informally inform the employee that his uh, performance is not up to par, and you do it a, a second time, and then you do it in in writing during performance review, and that is followed up then by a PIP, then it's very much easier, much more easy for the employer to to make plausible to the court that uh, there is indeed a situation of underperformance and the employer has done everything that is possible and can be expected from an employer to improve the, uh, the performance of the employee. Whereas if you just out of the blue, put the employee in a PIP, and after three months, the conclusion is this guy or this 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 woman, she underperforms and needs to uh, to be dismissed, the courts will be very critical and uh, you can expect them to uh, not to dismiss the employee.
0: Does it make a difference whether the employee is still in the initial probationary period? Does it make it easier to terminate the employee? In the Netherlands,
2: yes, because during the probationary period, you can just, without giving any reason, terminate the employment contract. And only if the in uh, instant, so at uh, the same day, it, it immediately ends. And only if the employee asks for the reason, you have to give the reason. But if you're a clever employer, then you just say, you ah, we don't have the feeling that you fit in the team, and that's it.
0: Important question, what's the maximum probationary period under Dutch law? Uh,
2: it's two months, and that is in case that the uh, it's an indefinite term contract or a definite term contract of two years or more. And if you have at least six months, you can have uh, or more than six months employment, then you can have a one-month uh, probationary period. Okay, in Japan, does it make a difference whether the employee is still in the probationary
0: period?
1: Technically, no. However, you know, the employee's expectation is a little bit different. You know, they do not litigate when they are terminated if it's in probationary period. So as a practical matter, there is a little bit of difference.
0: Does it make a difference whether the employee is a management level employee? Is there a little bit more leniency for the employer in terms of the process? And is there an argument at least to say, You are employed in a senior management level position. You should know these expected standards. I don't have to babysit you, so to speak, through an extensive process. Under UK law, Raul, assuming the employee has now already completed two years of service, does that make a
4: difference? Not in law. um, And I think in practice, it is very unusual to use the formal performance improvement process for senior management. There are a couple of reasons for that, one is what I mentioned earlier, which is that it takes a long time and is often still subject to challenge. Another is that putting someone on a performance improvement process is generally uh, ironically not a way to get very good performance from them, it can often lead to them being disengaged, disloyal to the company, looking for other positions, and that's exactly what you don't want from your senior management. So what we typically see is that employers will instead seek a more informal path to resolution where there's a performance issue at a senior level, whether that's moving to another role that might be more suitable or perhaps more commonly negotiating an exit. And in Colombia, does it make a difference?
3: As indeed in the UK, not in law, but as I was saying, because you have to compare the performance with other employees if it's a high uh, position, it's going to be very difficult to be able to compare him.
0: So uh, in two of the jurisdictions, the Netherlands and the UK, you have these employee representative structures called works councils. If you advance this process of addressing an employee's underperformance, is there a point in this process that you have to involve the works council? Eric and the Netherlands? No, you don't have to do
2: that if it concerns individual employees, since the Works Council only considers the, um, the things, issues that consider the workforce as a whole. However, if you uh, want to adopt, amend or withdraw a policy uh, regarding a performance, etc., you will need to have the consent of the Works Council.
4: And in the UK, rule? In the UK, no. Works Councils don't really have any role in performance improvement processes or performance dismissals, and indeed most employers don't don't have works councils in place, um, though they might have other employee representative structures. What you do see in highly unionised workforces, particularly uh, the public sector and ex-public sector industries, is a negotiated performance improvement policy, for instance, that mandates that the employer should take certain steps before dismissing for poor performance. So they might have less of a free hand than, you know, a, a new startup would, for instance.
0: So now we reach the final decision. The employer has gone through this process with a PIP, has followed the process, and it concludes this employee is just not performing where it should be. Is there a further step that the employer must follow before it can actually terminate the employee for unsatisfactory work performance? This is now after the PIP. And a casino in Colombia?
3: The final step would be the hearing where the employee has to explain why uh, he is underperforming. Uh, and after that, the employer has eight days in order to notify him if the contract is going to be terminated.
0: And in Japan, Aki?
1: There is no specific last step to be
2: taken under the law. Uh, the Netherlands, uh, Eric? No, not by law. But what you normally do, you terminate the or you finish the uh, the pip by uh, uh, sharing the conclusion with the employee, and then you uh, inform the employee if the pip was not successful. You inform him if. In the beginning, you agreed with the employee that uh, unsuccessful PIP uh, can lead to dismissal. Then you would inform the employee about uh, the intention to uh, to dismiss him and, uh, or her. And then you would, in most cases, put the employee on garden leave, whereas that's not not mandatory. But that is what happens uh, quite a lot. And then uh, the, the last step is, is going to court and uh, ask the court to uh, rescind the employment contract.
0: And that is, a, a, under Dutch law, is a mandatory step to get that official approval,
2: correct? Yes, yes, that's true. You have to go to court and the court you can uh, can decide, yes, we're going to dissolve the employment contract or no, we're not, we're rejecting your request.
0: So let's let's move to the other potential reason for the termination and that is, uh, if an employee commits misconduct. So let's focus on that process and perhaps at a high level, again, sort of just to give our listeners a high level understanding of what would be the required process. Let me uh, start with you, Ana Cristina, in, in uh, Colombia. What's the required process?
3: Well, we had a ruling in 2014 where the Constitutional Court made even more challenging this procedure. Uh, because of the due process, we cannot terminate any contract uh, because of misconduct, even though it is, if it is a very, like, very uh important fault you cannot terminate with a prior due process and the due process is going to be first the invitation to the hearing then the hearing and after that you have to give the employee a period of time where he can present any evidence that he has against they're supposed to be false, and after that you would have to notify the employee with a letter that has to have all the laws that were not complied, and also all the reasons why you're taking the decision.
0: Okay, in Japan, is there a, a, a crystallized uh, process that applies? No. No. So, the same law would
1: apply to misconduct case as well. So. Under the law, only 30 days notice is required. And then also you need to meet the requirement of just calls,
0: just like what I have discussed for uh, performance. So as a common best practice, employers in Japan will not call the employee to a hearing, provide the employee with the uh, allegations of the misconduct and create the employee to so-called defend him or herself.
1: They do. So there is no statutory requirements, but many employers have the uh, like employee handbook, which require the employer to do some sort of investigation and then hold a uh, disciplinary action committee. So under that committee, many employers would investigate the case and then will determine whether that misconduct is meeting the requirement of just
0: cause. Okay. would you just, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, this work rules in Japan, when does the legal obligation arise that an employer must publish uh, such work rules or a handbook setting forth those disciplinary procedures? Does that apply to all employers or only certain employers? So
1: employers with 10 or more employees need to have that kind of work rules in place. And then also, employers need to register those rules with the local labor office.
0: In the UK, uh, Rahul, is there an obligation to have a disciplinary process
4: in place on employers? In, In essence, yes, because you have an obligation to inform employees at the start of their employment about the procedures. That, that, that are followed in disciplinary matters. But um, so all employers will have a, a policy, but it can be quite short and quite basic.
0: And, and is, uh, does that leave room for
4: deviation? Uh, will it be approached more as a guideline as, a, it as is opposed a guideline. to a strict rule? Yes, it is a guideline. And one point that we'd always check when looking at the contract is that the uh, disciplinary procedure does not form part of the contract because you don't want to have a situation where failing to follow your own policy, it gives the employee a breach of contract claim. So generally the policy will be quite broadly drafted and it will, for example, enable the employer to skip stages if they want to in the case of uh, serious misconduct uh, and generally to adapt their procedure to suit the circumstances. And
0: in the Netherlands, uh, the process for
2: discipline for misconduct Mm-hmm. There is, if the most misconduct is really serious and unacceptable, the employee can be fired on the spot, an instant dismissal, and you should think of uh, misconduct like theft or fraud. In other cases, you have to confront the employee with his behavior and ask for the reaction, uh, which is the principle of hearing both sides of the argument or the right to, be, to hear and to be heard. If there is no plausible explanation for the behaviour and the behaviour justifies dismissal, uh, you should inform the employee uh, that his employment will be terminated, uh, followed by filing a termination request with the uh, sub-district court. And there is no obligation to have a policy in place with uh, saying the procedures, what to do and which steps to take. Uh, However, it can help you if you have such a policy in place uh, because the employee then knows what happens if he carries some sort of conduct. Uh, So that might help you. On the other hand, it might also backfire in case that it's very specific. You have to follow the following steps. And if you don't do that as an employer, the court will hold that against you. And it might even be a reason to not dismiss the employee and to reject the termination request.
0: So in an instance of a serious misconduct, is it basically terminate and then explain to the court the substantive reasons, but there's no pre-dismissal hearing of the employee, but you still have to explain and make out a good case?
2: Yes, that's correct, although you should sit down with the employee. And ask him, confront him with the behavior. Obviously, that's not the case in case that uh, you would catch him in the act of stealing or, uh, or theft or fraud. But in all other cases, you have to investigate and then sit down with the employee and confront him with your findings and uh, give him the possibility to respond because maybe there's a plausible reason for the behavior. And after that, you take into account the response uh, of the employee and then you make the decision is this a serious act and uh, can we? Fire on the spot or not and if you can you can then just terminate and afterwards if the employee wants to fight dismissal he uh, needs to to start proceedings with the court so that's just the other way around from a normal uh, dismissal procedure in the Netherlands where first you have to go to court then there is a prior uh, to the dismissal uh, a check whether or not dismissal is justified and then the uh, employee is dismissed.
0: Now in Colombia and and the UK it's a little bit more of a structured requirement that there should be a hearing where the employee gets a chance to understand what is alleged, what what is the misconduct, and have an opportunity to at least present his case. Let's just talk about a little bit about the mechanics. Must the employer give written notice to the employee of this hearing, and how much detail should there be in this notice?
3: In Colombia, it has to be very detailed. First of all, you should invite or give the written uh, invitation to the employee at least like four to five hours prior to the hearing, ideally even one day before, and in that document, uh, you have to write everything that's going to be questioned on the hearing. So, for example, you have to tell him why you're investigating or why you open the disciplinary procedure what uh, are the laws that are not being uh, in compliance. If you have any evidence, you should attach the evidence uh, to the document. So it is very strict. A lot of times what uh, the employers say is that if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to then terminate the contract because of the serious misconduct, because then he's going to have all the evidence and it's going to make up a story. So it is difficult and sometimes what you have to do is to take strategic decisions and maybe you're not going to give him the evidence with that much time of advance, but you would give him the evidence or you transfer the evidence where you're in the hearing. So you have to see and to balance what you're trying or what you're aiming for and try to be a little bit flexible because otherwise, some in some cases you're not going to make the case. If you do it, everything has it meeting by
4: law. And then the UK role. So one difference from what Anna Christina described is that you will typically have two meetings with the employee. The first will be an investigation meeting where you are asking him questions about uh, the alleged misconduct. And then as the employer, you will take stock and gather all of the evidence that you have, which obviously might include talking to other employees or phone records or emails or whatever it is. And in a similar way to what Anna Cristina described, you then provide that in advance to the employee before a disciplinary hearing where he's given an opportunity to account for his actions and then uh, the employer decides on what sanction to apply.
0: Okay, uh, in instances where a company has filed the work rules in Japan. This, do those work rules typically address the detail? As as both Rahul and Ana Costina explained, is there any similarity in terms of prescribing an advance notice and what the notice should contain?
1: No, there were just uh, like one or two sentences just to prescribe what, uh, like the disciplinary action committee should be held before the termination or something. So. Okay. There is not, no like detailed laws
0: in Japan in this area. So you use the term the disciplinary committee. So let me ask all four of you, who may act as the disciplinary chair or in your case in Japan, Akiya, who, who typically serves on the disciplinary committee? So should we start with you to just to describe that committee concept?
1: Yeah, usually someone from HR and then someone from the management. So basically, from the employer side. And then again, there is no like statutory requirements on how many members you should have, or whether you
0: should have somebody from employee side. And in the Netherlands.
2: Yeah, that's actually uh, similar to Japan, unless there's a policy in place prescribing who uh, is the chief of, of dismissal, uh, so to say. It is, in most cases, the employee's manager who is doing it, together with somebody from HR or, uh, or from, uh, from the legal department.
0: Now, at the disciplinary hearing, does the employee have the right to cross-examine? The company's witnesses, and uh, in Colombia, we've learned uh, you actually have to attach some of the evidentiary documents that you're going to confront the employee. Can the employee say, "I, I want bring in employee fellow employee B. I want to ask him questions uh, during this disciplinary process"? Ro?
4: the employee does have a right to bring witnesses to the hearing, but in practice, they tend not to do so. I don't, perhaps because it. It's, it's a rare case where it will help their side to do that. So generally, the disability hearings tend to be just the decision-maker, somebody like the other countries, is usually the manager, plus someone from HR who's assisting, and the employee. So it tends to be a small group of people. And in Colombia, Ana Cristina?
3: In Colombia, if the employee is unionized, who's going to have the right to be accompanied by two uh, union members. Other than that, he could ask the company to talk with anyone because if that person has evidence against what the company is saying, but he, is, he doesn't have the right to take that person into his hearing.
0: Now, at the end of this disciplinary hearing, if the chairperson decides the employee, in fact, committed the misconduct and the disciplinary chair leans towards a dismissal of the employee, Is there a further step in the process before that chairperson can actually say, you're fired?
3: In Colombia, there's not.
4: In the UK? In the UK, no. You can um, proceed straight to issuing notice. One important point, though, is that in the UK, it is only gross misconduct, at the very highest level of employee misconduct, things like theft and fraud that Eric mentioned earlier, that will justify dismissal for a first offence. Normally, um, it would be necessary for, for the employer to go through an escalating series of warnings where dismissal is obviously the final sanction.
0: Now, on that point, point, uh, and you, you touched on a very important point, if the employer knows the misconduct that's at issue is probably not going to justify a dismissal, does the same disciplinary procedure apply, even if it would just lead to a written warning?
4: It does. And importantly, UK law emphasises the importance of the employer not prejudging the outcome. So you would start the disciplinary process in the same way, whether you were thinking that you were probably going to end up at final written warning or a dismissal or a gross misconduct dismissal. Is
0: there a right to an internal appeal of the initial disciplinary hearing outcome?
4: In the UK, yes. And that appeal should be to someone who is At the same level or preferably more senior than the person who made the initial dismissal decision one difference from the netherlands i think is that in the uk we also are very focused on the individual role of that decision maker and in hr being in only an advisory role so there have been a couple of decisions recently where the courts have said that hr overstepped their remit and went too far into determining the decision to dismiss rather than whereas that should be the province of the manager and in Colombia?
3: Exactly, as in the UK. Uh, uh,
4: the Netherlands?
2: No, there's not, unless there's a policy in place that prescribes that uh, that you have to do it.
0: Okay, and I uh, would assume that's the same in Japan, unless the work rules explicitly prescribe an appeal. There's no appeal, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, t- in conclusion, what happens if the employer has an outstanding reason to dismiss the employee, but fails to follow these procedures, particularly where it's so prescribed in Colombia, it's required in, in the UK, and is an, an important part in under Dutch law as well. What is the employer's risk?
3: In Colombia, it's highly probable that the employee is going to be reinstated.
4: In the UK, you would probably find that you had a finding of unfair dismissal with a small monetary award to the employee, but if the employer can show that the procedure breach didn't make any difference to the overall outcome because, for example, they embezzled a lot of money from the company and dismissal was always going to take place, then the employee won't be entitled to compensation for loss of earnings, which forms the very largest part of the awards in these cases. And in the Netherlands, Eric,
2: Just like in Colombia, it might result in a rejection of the termination request or as an alternative in an additional severance payment rewarded to the employee. Well, thank you so much,
0: Aki, Eric. Anna Cristina and Rahul for sharing with our listeners these processes that are clearly foreign to us on, on this side of the Atlantic. Thank you for your participation. For those of you who follow our series of podcasts, we invite you, if you want to learn more about Littler's international employment and labor practice and more about the various cross-border topics, visit our website at www.littler.com.